In this episode of Getting to There, I had the pleasure to sit down with a world-class ultra-marathon runner, Charlie Engel. Charlie shares his inspiring gripping story of setbacks and struggles and how he blazed a path to freedom by putting one foot in front of the other. A catharsis for Charlie is speaking to a diverse array of audiences, from CEOs to U.S. Armed Forces. His story is real and relatable to almost anyone. So take a listen and hear about how Charlie Engel got to there. Thank you for joining us today, Charlie. I, um, I have a bunch of questions, just things I want to know about you, things I think you might want people to know about you. But the first question is, your book, uh, Running Man, was a very deep and open and honest conversation. So two, two you know, subset questions. What made you write a book and what made you want to be so honest about the struggles in your life? So thanks for asking about the book. I, you know, Running Man was really a, an exercise in sort of purging all of this stuff I think that I've been carrying around for a long time. And when I made the deal with Simon & Schuster to actually write the book, I told them that I really wasn't interested in writing what I would call a running book because a, a book of stories about going to this race and that race and it was hard and I fought my way through and I learned this lesson wasn't really interesting to me. I wanted to write about the core motivation of what makes me do the things that I do and seeking for those answers all the time and for the motivation to go on and do the next thing. So that's what that's what writing Running Man did for me. And I'm I'm very happy to say that uh, the reviews, uh, for the most part, called it uh, the best, uh, most well-written running book uh, on the market these days. So I take that as a huge comp. There's probably better storytellers out there and there, there might even be better writers, but uh, the exercise was amazing for me. That is awesome. So in our, uh, we did a little video beforehand, a live video, Facebook stream, and I said I'm going to be interviewing the guy that ran across the Sahara, and I told them, you know, the first question I'm going to ask is now my second question because I wanted to not be predictable. Um, what makes one want to run across the Sahara? Well, you know, running across the Sahara is uh, an example of what happens if you're kind of paying attention in the world. You know, it was an idea that came from a stranger. Somebody asked me a question, you know, have you ever thought about running across the Sahara? And frankly, I told him it was the it was the worst idea I'd ever heard and that it was absolutely not possible to consider doing something like that. But I I couldn't get it out of my head. So it's this idea that, you know, words said to us by a stranger can actually change the course of your life. I came home from that race, which was in the Amazon jungle, and uh, I started researching and I found out that no one had ever run across the entire Sahara, turns out for pretty good reason. <laughs> and uh, it firsts in the adventure world, you know, doing, being the first to do something is really, really hard to come by. And so I just began to tell people that I was going to be the first person to run across the Sahara with, without any real evidence. Uh, backing me up, but I, I think it's uh, it's this idea that if we believe something strongly enough, we can manifest it into existence. Well, you could add another first. You're the first ultra marathon guy I've ever interviewed on this show. So, you know, I don't know where that ah. goes on your website. Probably right up front. You know, right right beyond, <laughs> right before the Sahara Desert thing. So, one of the questions exactly. I like to ask people because um, it kind of lets me know their mindset. If you were given an award unexpectedly 
what would your friends and family assume the award was for? Ah, oh, man. So let's see. To think out of the box here, I would say that the award, the award that I would want to get would be for uh, being incredibly optimistic, to being an optimist no matter what the circumstance is. So maybe the award would be most optimistic person on the planet because I, I genuinely believe that that optimism and the approach to both good things and bad things in life has everything to do with the end result. You know, anybody can be optimistic when everything's going your way, you know, but who are you when everything falls apart, when things get really difficult? So that's the, that's the award that I would want to win. And I, and I think my friends would say, yeah, that fits him. Okay, that was gonna be my second, my second follow-up question. Is what would your friends say? Because you know, um, <laughs> so you're definitely knocking things off your bucket list. Uh, what's next on your bucket list? For, both from a professional athlete, um, endurance athlete, and maybe even on a personal side. Yeah, I would say, I mean, absolutely what's next for me is a series called 5.8. So I've been working on this for a while. It's my global adventure series. And uh, in uh, June, I'm going to actually go from the lowest elevation in Africa to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, about 1,600 miles. And I'm doing that both running and biking, and there's actually swimming involved. But it's the first expedition in a, in a seven expedition series called 5.8. And the, it will culminate in an expedition going from the Dead Sea, the shore of the Dead Sea in Jordan, all the way across the Arabian Desert, uh, kayaking 1,000 miles across the Indian Ocean, mountain biking 2,000 miles across India to the base of Mount Everest, and then climbing to the top. So it will literally be lowest place on the planet to the highest point on the planet. And I call it 5.8 because while it's about 4,500 miles from point to point, it's actually only 5.8 vertical miles uh, from the lowest place to the highest point. And, and we all, you and me and everybody on this planet lives within this tiny little sliver of space that covers the earth. So. That's my next big undertaking. That's awesome. Well, I love the organic interviews that we're doing because questions pop up that I didn't write down. You know, I, I read your book, and, I, and so I have some, you know, some questions about your life that I already know um, to ask you. But as we're talking, I'm thinking behind my, in, in the back of my head, does your insurance cover you? Like, do they think you're super preferred? Or because of the crazy things you do, no matter how healthy you are, you're going places that you shouldn't go so they don't like it. Like, uh, how, how do you get your life insurance? <laughs> you know, and I'm not trying to sell you life insurance. I'm just really curious because there's two ways to look at yeah. this. You're super healthy, but you're going crazy places, dude. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I actually have a really great life insurance policy. And I mean, I'm about the most public person there is about the things that I do. So. Right. I, I always say that if, if uh, you know, if someone doesn't sell, want to sell me insurance, then they shouldn't. But, um, you know, I think what historically what you see with me is that I take a lot of care in planning things out. If you just if you just took some of the things that I do on the surface and said, OK, is that safe or is it not safe? Without doing further research, you might decide that it's not necessarily a safe thing. But I am a stickler for details on these expeditions and hey bad luck can happen 
anytime. But it won't, if something ever happens to me on one of these expeditions, it won't be because uh, I haven't taken good care to make sure I'm in the, in this, put myself in the best possible position. As I like to say, you know, if you get in your car every day and drive somewhere, you're far more at risk of some knucklehead uh, texting and running into the back of you, you know, than you are uh, actually doing a track or climbing a mountain even. The, the odds are much greater of injury in your car than on any of these expeditions. So sure. I look at it that way. Fair enough. So if you were given a card for a do-over, where would you use it? What would you change? Hmm. I was giving a card for a doer. I would, um, I had a business, uh, and this is funny because I'm not a very, I'm not a money-centric person in general. So it's not been high on my priority list. However, and this is going to be a strange, maybe a strange answer, but I, I like to be honest about the first thing that pops in my head. <laughs> so from a business perspective, the do-over would be, um, I, had, I started the company in 1991, and I chased hailstorms around the world, all right? So I did this. I, I talked about it in the book a little bit, but I did this for many, many years. And the industry today is probably a $20 billion industry, and I was literally the first company that specialized in this very niche operation, chasing hailstorms for the purpose of repairing hail-damaged cars. And if I had been smarter and a little more uh, efficient in the way that I worked, I would have built a company at that point that would have rivaled one of the ones, I would have been way ahead of everyone else. There's four or five big companies that are multi-billion dollar companies in that industry, that very strange industry. And you'll appreciate because of your business, it's a recession-proof industry because everybody has car insurance. So when it hails on your car, you're not spending money out of your pocket. So it's it's insured. So you're going to fix your car. So it doesn't matter whether the economy is good or bad or anything else. So it's a it's a really good business. So that's my answer on the business side. On the personal side, I would actually go back, um, make sure that I spent uh, a little more time with my kids when they were young. I was really traveling a lot and both in business and in sports and i regret missing a few of those uh special times gotcha we hear that a lot my kids are seven and i'm trying to spend a lot more time with them up until the point they don't want to spend time with me anymore as you know yeah as i get older that, that will <laughs> exactly. be there so you are absolutely an inspiration to others um who inspires you and, and who is your inspiration both now and and maybe growing up so my um my historical inspiration is uh, easy. It's Ernest Shackleton, um, who was a very famous uh, polar explorer back in the early 1900s. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he's, he is, uh, there's been a couple of films about him, but basically his, his philosophy can be summed up in one easy term. It's a quote directly from him, and it, I, I sort of referenced it earlier, and that is that optimism is true moral courage. So he took 26 men trying to reach the South Pole back in the early 1900s, and their ship was icebound for 22 months. And they all, to a man, say that it was their leader's optimism that kept them alive, because nobody in that circumstance would have thought they had a chance to stay alive. But their attitude made all the difference. And 
that starts at the top. If the leader is saying, we're screwed, we're not going to make it, then everybody else believes that. And he never said that, and he always said, we're going to get through this, boys, and they did. So my other hero is absolutely my mother last year from after a long battle with Alzheimer's that unfortunately was unwinnable. And my mom was my inspiration. It's sort of a cliche answer, but uh, the thing that I like to say most is that my mother, and you read about her in the book, you know, my mother taught me how to think. She never told me what to think. And I think that that's a mistake that, and it's none of my business what other parents do, but I think it's a mistake that parents make and they confuse teaching values with teaching thinking. And what she gave me was the ability to think for myself and to make decisions for myself, right or wrong, to own them, to take responsibility for the good ones and the bad ones. And more than anything else, to stand up for other people, to stand up for human rights. And if I see something that's wrong, to call it out and do something about it. That's great. Is there something you don't give yourself enough credit for? Like that you're hard on yourself yeah. for? Yes. I, I actually give myself, I, I, I don't give myself credit for being a good businessman. I mean, which again, it sounds kind of weird, but it is that self-perpetuating idea that I tell myself that business isn't my thing. But, but what I do is a business. It's just that I have a bad habit of defining it by the profitability of it. In other words, you know, it's only successful if it equals X amount of money in my bank account. And I mean, we do all know that that's not in any, I mean, it's a measuring stick, but it's not a definition of success that you have a certain amount of money in your account. So I give myself too much uh, hassle, I think, for maybe not being more focused on money. But the reality is when I go out and I do the things that I love to do and I'm feeding that passion, you know, I trust the fact that um, money will come or it won't come, but it's not going to affect my happiness uh, in the result of whatever I've managed to do. Right. It'll all work out and you don't want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. <laughs> exactly. So I, I want, I want experiences. Right. And you know, you, you bring up a good point when we're talking about kids and this is something our kids are both in their twenties now, my two boys, and they're very, they're experience based, you know, they're not worrying about, you know, their bank account or, and I mean, they, they get money if they get money through their job, you know, whatever they're, they're really focusing on what they're going to do with it from an experiential standpoint. There will come a day where they need to save more and so forth. But right now, they're focused on going and doing things rather than buying a new TV or another car or something like that. They want to go take a trip and have an experience because they understand that that's, that's how they change their lives and other people's lives. Right. That's awesome. So I think your answer might be driving to the mall. But what is the most dangerous thing you've ever done? <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> no, I've done some dangerous things. So, uh, hmm. I, I remember, I mean, I actually, my mind goes to very specific things, but uh, I would say being completely unprepared from time to time for uh, worst case scenarios. So, and I think this is, a, this is a general answer, but I think it holds true for many things. 
when I, especially when I was younger and doing a lot of adventures, you know, I was prone to go out the door for a 10 hour hike or adventure or run or whatever it is. And I only carried enough supplies for that 10 hours because I had no doubt that I was going to do whatever that goal is that I had set without taking, yeah, without taking into account all the hundreds of things that could go wrong from getting lost to, uh, I remember one incident years ago where I ended up stopping to help someone else and they you know, had twisted an ankle. And so next thing you know, I'm spending three hours, you know, far away from home in a situation I didn't count on. And uh, I end up having to run home in the dark and on cliff sides and all that. Anyway, the point is, I think the most dangerous thing that I used to do was to leave the house with supreme confidence that everything was going to go perfectly. And you know, so today I make sure that uh, we're all a little more connected probably than we even want to be thanks to our smartphones. But uh, you know, I make sure that someone knows where I'm going uh, and that, um, you know, that I have an escape plan. Oh, I have to tell you one funny anecdote. So I climbed Mount McKinley uh, back in 2005. And case in point, my climbing partner on that climb, there were only five of us on the climb, and my climbing partner was a guy named Aaron Ralston, who very famously got trapped in a canyon and cut his own arm off a couple of years later. Everyone kind of knows that story. It was made into a film with Christian Bale and all of that. So Aaron Ralston was actually my, my climbing partner. And... Um, you know, it's a case in point that, uh, you know, he himself will admit that he did a poor job of telling anyone where he was going, not being prepared to be out there. And he's known for making this really difficult, of course, gut wrenching decision in that moment. But a lot of things led up to putting him in the position uh, to even have to make that decision. So I don't know what that's relevant, but no, I, I like telling the story. So if you ever want to be a planner, I have to train you on how to think of the, you know, you know the, the glass half empty and all the planning stuff you have to do. You know, you always prepare for the best, but also be, you know, you want to be prepared for the worst. You know, plan for the best, totally. prepare for the worst. So your, your highlight totally. reel is probably crazy. You know, your, what you've done and, and the experiences you've had. If you had to say your top three, you know, what we'll say professional highlight reel and, also, and obviously personal highlight reel, what would they be? Like, what comes to mind as your top three highest achievements from a, you know, uh, super marathon athlete, endurance guy? You sure. Know, cover a lot of, a lot of labels can actually sure. describe you. No, I, I appreciate the question. And actually, I would, I would, my mind, again, I'll trust where my brain went when you asked the question. So on a personal note, there is no greater highlight than the fact that I'm 26 and a half years clean and sober at this point. So without that, there is nothing else. You know, I'm, I'm not a guy that ever did anything halfway. And when I was a, a drinker and drug user, you know, I did that to a degree that was going to kill me. So if I hadn't found a way to get on top of that, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. So from a personal standpoint, that's number one. Number two would be, you know, the way that I've raised my kids. You know, I am actually very proud of the fact that I have two two boys who are deeply concerned about other people, about the planet we live on, about living a full and uh, passionate life. 
And, you know, that excites me a lot. I'll switch over to the, the, the professional side. What I'm most grateful for is the fact that all my adventures allow me opportunities like the one we're having right now. You know, I get to I get to tell stories and hopefully what people see. And, and you mentioned it in the book right from the beginning. It's a really stark open, honest book that doesn't say, hey, look at me, I'm awesome and I'm great at everything and life is perfect. And in fact, it does the opposite. It it allowed me with the writing and, and the speaking that I do now to really share with people that I am far from perfect. Almost nothing has been easy, but the vast majority of it has been has been uh you know, self-opted suffering. You know, I choose to do these things, these very hard things, because life has taught me that all the best lessons in personal or in business, all the best lessons come from the hardest things that we face. And I've never met a single person. If I ask them, what's the most formative thing you've ever done? Nobody ever says, oh, my life has been so easy. And, and you know, that's what made me who I am today. Instead, they choose the really difficult things. So the, the final thing I'll bring up is the, the side effect factor. Okay, so I chose to run across the Sahara Desert. And I say, without a shadow of a doubt, I did it as a personal endeavor. And I wanted to do it because I wanted to see if I could do it. Like, it doesn't always have to be more complicated than that. You know, I want... Looking back, it looks like I had this grand plan and whatever else. It, it was just something that I knew in my heart that I wanted to try. The side effect part of it is this. I created, along with Matt Damon, I created H2O Africa, which is, you know, was a clean water nonprofit that we started together. And I raised more than $6 million in that first year. Today, H2O Africa is known as water.org, and it's the world's largest clean water nonprofit. And we just passed a billion dollars in funding recently. And, you know, so the crazy idea of doing something outlandish, like running across the Sahara, actually led to something really positive and powerful that has impacted, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives around the world. And so that's the thing. If I had to choose a legacy that I hope people would say, you know, not that he ran across the Sahara, but that he helped create this other thing. That would be the thing that I would choose. That's awesome. So you, you hit rock bottom. You got yourself up. You obviously um, moved on from there. For people that, that are, are where you were, are, are at the, you know, what would you, if they're already struggling and they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, um, what words would you give them, you know, to kind of get them through this? Because as you know, this will pass, but their attitude has to be, a certain, you know, has to be positive so it can pass in a good way. Yeah, that's a, thanks for asking that question. First of all, I, I like to tell people and remind them no matter how addicts are stubborn people. I mean, we didn't get to where we are by being complacent. You know, we're manipulative sales. Some of the best salespeople on the planet are addicts because we know how to twist a, you know, a justification to somehow talk about, you know, what all the mistakes we've made. And so the first piece of advice I would give is stop trying to change for other people until you reach the point where you're ready to make a change for you as if no one else was watching, not your boss, not your wife or husband, not your parents, you know, whoever, because I, 
spent years trying to stop, trying to change. But but the true motivation in those years was because I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to lose my marriage. I didn't want to lose my kids. I didn't want to lose all these things. And the fact is, those those reasons weren't enough to make me really change. It wasn't until I genuinely hit a rock bottom where I understood that if I didn't make this decision to save my own life, that it wasn't going to happen. And it actually was, interestingly, that was the most freeing thing that ever happened to me. Because once I was free to understand this was actually up to me, not up to anybody else, it, it, it didn't make it easy, but it made it worthwhile. It made it, it made it something that I took pride in and I started with small steps and I, I didn't think about, oh my God, I have to be sober for the rest of my life. All I thought about was that basic concept. I only have to be sober for today. And, and when tomorrow gets here, then I'll worry about tomorrow. And, and one little step at a time. That, isn't that just like business too? People always see this finish line way down the road, and that's what they're envisioning. And they, they forget that the only way to get there, to that whatever your definition of success is, the only way to get there is to get the job done today, to do the things that you need to do today. That'll get you to tomorrow and then to next week and next year. And so I think for addicts that are still out there suffering, first of all, I mean, I say this sort of tongue in cheek, some people might not appreciate it, but you know, get on with it. You know, if you're gonna, if you need to keep being out there kicking your own ass for a while longer, just go ahead and get on with it. Because until you get that out of your system, until you basically lose almost everything, you know, most people aren't able or willing to really make the change necessary. So stop screwing around. You know, I'm actually grateful, strange as it sounds, for drugs because the drugs I was doing and the amount of drugs I was doing basically made it impossible for me to maintain that lifestyle. I was going to die. So uh, I obviously, case in point, I, I made the right choice. Right. You're Hopefully. still here. That's good. How would you, I am. <laughs> five words to describe yourself? Hmm. As we've established, optimistic, passionate, compassionate, uh, driven, funny. Okay. At least I think so. Yeah. As you <laughs> said, you have to start with yourself, else. right? Nobody else might, but, you know, I think I'm hilarious. We laughed a few times today. So my, my last question for you, and again, we appreciate your time. Um, I could talk to you for all day, and, and I don't think the, the internet bandwidth would, would support that. Um, <laughs> if, what was my, look, okay. What's a question that you would want to answer, but no one's ever asked you? Oh, man. Hmm. See, that, that's, that's one that should probably take, uh, nobody's ever asked me. There's I very few the questions that time. I can think of, right? I mean, that somebody's never asked me. I've been asked a lot of questions. Um, Probably someone has asked me, you know, what I would want to be if I if I got a chance to come back as another being, but I don't ever remember being asked that. So maybe I talked about that when I was a kid. So let's say, you know, what would I want to be if I if reincarnation was a thing, right. which you know, for know. me, I I, I kind of hope it is because I'd like to I'd like another crack at it maybe as something else. But 
So I, I think what I'd, you know, what I'd absolutely want to be, and this is a little bit in honor of my wife, who is a, uh, a world-renowned ornithologist. She's a, a bird expert. So I would want to come back as some sort of very small songbird that travels from, you know, South America to North America every year, uh, back and forth. So as simple as that is, the, the freedom of of flying and of that kind of travel, I think is, is, you know, I try to live my human life that way. So I'd love to live, uh, live another life that way. That's awesome. Well, that was going to be the last question, but now I have to ask you now that you want to be reincarnated as a bird. Um, if you weren't doing what you were doing, <laughs> what do you think your job would be? Like, what would you, if certain things had, you know, historically gone a different way, um, and you sure. didn't decide to be a, a, you know, the, the kind of sport you're doing now, would you have yeah. a desk job? Like, what would you be doing? I, I know, I know for sure I would be actually just running a nonprofit, or I would I, basically what I'd be is exactly what my mother was for her whole life, and that was some form of social worker. She was, that was never her job. Well, actually, probably was at some point, but, but her mission in life, and I had the luxury and just amazing luck of being raised this way, that not in. The understanding that the more I help other people, the more I help myself. And that, you know, human rights are something that everyone deserves, no matter the circumstance. And when I see something that's not right, when I see people that need help, I hope I'm always that guy that's going to do my best to step up and help someone else. And so that's that's the job I would have. No doubt. I wouldn't be sitting behind a desk. I would be out there somewhere in the world trying to make sure that somebody else was getting what they need. That's awesome. Well, I think ending on, on a great memory of your mom and, and on a, a great memorial for your mom, um, givers get, you know, I think we should make shirts that say that True. and, and the, the, the totally. money we've raised can go to H2O. Uh, Charlie Engel, thank you very much for being on our show today. I'll catch up with you at some point in the future. My pleasure. I look forward to it. Thank Take you. Care. Take care. Thanks for watching this episode of Getting to There. If you ever wanted to know what it would take to run across the Sahara, uh, definitely read Charlie Engel's book. He's a phenomenal guy. Uh, if you ever think you can't do something, think of him, and then you'll be able to do it. See you next time.